0: Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. I am super excited today. We have a guest that uh, I can't wait for you to listen to. Nick Hester is the director of Chi Alpha at Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas. And let me tell you something, Nick and his team are really, really inspiring to me. But first, just a little bit about Chi Alpha. These guys have a strong and positive presence on numerous secular university campuses where they mobilize college students, discipling them, uh, reaching them for Jesus, training them, all while these students are pursuing their education. Instead of seeing these years as a time of vulnerability, Chi Alpha seizes the opportunity and, and really sees these years as an opportunity for these students to draw closer to God. Here's the cool thing, they encourage these students after they graduate to to follow God's leading instead of pursuing some lucrative career opportunity. And Chi Alpha is cranking out strong Christian men and women who are making a real difference in this world. If you're interested in knowing more about Chi Alpha and which university campuses have chapters, take a look at our podcast's description uh, for a Chi Alpha link and you can learn more about it. I'd also like to take the opportunity for you to listen to Nick Hester's uh, Texas Tech Chi Alpha podcast. I really think you're going to like it. And I've also provided a a description there, or a link in our description there for you. Now, for what you're going to hear about uh, from Nick today is the incredible pricelessness of the Lamb of God. That is Jesus. Check this out. If you could be free from anything, what would it be? Take a minute to think about that. Well, guess what? The Lamb of God frees you from anything and everything that enslaves you. Or think about this. Jesus, the pure, innocent Lamb of God that was slain for you. So here's the question. If he was slain for you, what are you going to do with this priceless gift that God has offered you? So I want you to listen in and learn more about the Lamb of God.
1: When I talked with Pastor Steve about being here, he said to share something that's on your heart. And anytime someone gives me an open subject to talk about, I'm either going to talk about discipleship or it's going to be just simply about Jesus, because I think that is the subject that we can we can never exhaust, but it always satisfies us. Right? It's the ultimate paradox. Jesus always fills us, and yet we want more of Him. How does that work? I don't know, and I'm okay with not knowing. <laughs> Man, but these are, this has been such a crazy year. 2020, what a weird year. And, and the thing I've been hearing a lot from people is how it's, it's really unprecedented and how it's a time that no one has, has ever really experienced before. And the more I think about it, and as I read Scripture, I start to think, you know what, I think we've, especially as God's people, we have kind of been in a similar situation. God's people, the Israelites, you're familiar, especially in the early days, where they became his people, they were created for a life of freedom, right? When God made man, he said, oh, this is very good, right? He made man perfect. And when we were talking about this the other day, when we sin, when we live in sin, we're actually less than human. So often people are like, oh, of course I sin, I'm human. And it's like, man, that's not how God made us. He he didn't make us for that. And so when we live in sin, we're actually living in something outside of what God made humanity to be. Because God doesn't make anything imperfect. He is when He opened His mouth, galaxies were formed. Man, our God is so good. He is so good. And God created us for freedom. Right? The question we get, especially on a college campus all the time, is, you know, well, why did God even put the fruit in the garden? Why did God ever even give them something to say no to? And I always flip it on him and I say, Do you realize that they, Adam and Eve, could have chosen literally anything else. And it would have been in God's will. And think about that. It would, it would have been something God said, yes, this is for you to do. You can do this thing. But there was one thing that they weren't to do, but chose selfishness and sin enters into the world and freedom is no longer there. We now have this presence of sin with us. That's always around us. And when Jesus died, we were freed from the power of sin but not until he comes back will we be freed from the presence of sin, right? Presence of sin. that's in this world, but we can be free from the power of sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And freedom is available in him. But his, but God's people wandering in the desert, they got glimpses of freedom. They got glimpses of, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. They got to see God do amazing things. They did get to commune with God in ways and and offering sacrifices and the whole Old Testament system that was set up for relationship with God. But we know God walked with Adam in the cool of the day, right? That was the design. That intimacy with God is what the original, God's original intention, purpose was for us as people. And I think about us because in the midst of all this COVID stuff, we've had our, our freedoms originally, um, they've been taken away, right? Businesses have to close. Maybe you've had a business that's, if you own a business, you've had to shut down. There's lots of ramifications for that. Um, Maybe it's your favorite restaurant that's had to close down. That's a ramification you've had to to walk through. Um, Yeah, maybe you've been laid off. Maybe you've been out of work. That's happened to a lot of people in the country. And so there's been lots of it's not just that we're, we're not, we don't have all the freedoms that we want, right? We have to wear masks where we go. We have to social distance. There's all these little freedoms that have been taken away from us. But then after a little while you hear in the news and they say, oh, but we're, 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 we're seeing a good trend. And so now we're gonna lift some of the restrictions. We're gonna get some of the freedoms back. Masks aren't that big a deal. You don't need to wear them again. And we walked in that for a little while and now we're back. Right, and now they're closing everything down again, putting heavy restrictions, we've got to wear our masks, we've got to social distance, all of that. And so throughout this whole COVID 2020 season, we've like been getting glimpses of freedom and we're like hearing of this promise of freedom. You hear people talk about it like, hey, it's gonna pass, right? We we all say this like, hey, it's gonna pass eventually. Some people think, oh, once the election is all settled down, it'll all be over. Other people are saying, hey, probably three years before this all settles down. But no matter what school of thought you hear from someone, everyone agrees this will all be over and we'll get our freedom back. And so we're living for this future, like when is this freedom gonna get here? When will we be restored back to what, how we're supposed to be living? You tracking with me? And the Israelites, can you imagine them living their life with God having restrictions and you know their, their walk that took 40 years should have taken like three months. Um, they got glimpses of God. They had glimpses of freedom. There was prophecies about the freedom that was to come. There were prophecies about the Messiah. The first one being three chapters in, Genesis chapter three, right? He will stomp your head, bite your heel, but he will stomp your head. So this Jesus, our King Jesus, was prophesied about from the beginning. God had wasted no time in his redemption plan to buy us back. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And they heard about this, they hear about this Messiah. Thousands of years, they hear about this Messiah, this God, and at the end of the Old Testament until the New Testament, there's a gap of 400 years where God doesn't speak. Can you imagine being God's people hearing all the stories of the Old Testament. These are your stories, right? These aren't just stories. These are like, this is who we are. We're God's people. Abraham and Isaac and, and the Red Sea. God's power, what he can do and how he feels about us, how he feels towards his people. And then 400 years of nothing. No prophet. No nothing. Just 400 years. And they were awaiting eagerly this Messiah. As we're awaiting eagerly the day where our government, whoever it may be, the powers that be in our government is like, okay, Back to normal, lift everything, go back to normal, have your original freedoms. We're all waiting pretty eagerly for that, right? I'm excited for it. I know I'm ready for things to get back to where we don't have to wear these and we don't have to social distance. But God's people for 400 years heard nothing. And they were eagerly awaiting this Messiah. And they would talk about it frequently amongst each other. Is this Messiah? Is this the Messiah? A a godly man might come along and that would be the question Are you the Messiah? And they were awaiting this man who would come and lift their burdens and give them freedom. And they were waiting for the the punchline, you could say. Like a punchline of a joke. If someone tells a joke and they never give you the punchline, you're like, oh, like, what was that? You know, if you've ever been watching a movie and then all of a sudden all the power goes out in the last 15 minutes of the movie and you're like, how does it end? Like, what's the next thing, you know? If you guys have ever, y'all ever eaten that Red Robin? The restaurant red robin the jingle red robin anyone and at the end of it's yum as the response there it's like if you just heard the the major plot of the movie but you didn't know the ending it's like if you heard that commercial red robin and there was no yum there's just something missing there right there's just there's just a piece of this it's like man this thing is not complete without it and this is king jesus Of Scripture. This is who He is. He is the yum, so to speak. That's not one of His seven I am statements in John, but 2020, Jesus is the yum. He is the completion, He is the final. He is it. Amen? He is our cornerstone, He's all of it. And, you know, so they hear nothing for 400 years, and then Jesus is born. Thank you, Jesus, that you came you believe that? He condescended Himself. He left His throne to come and dwell with us. Can you believe it? I, I still have trouble believing it. If I haven't met Him myself, I don't know if I would. That He left His throne and condescended Himself and, and took on flesh to be, to live a life, to show us that this life is possible, this life with Him. And, and in the Scriptures, we only have one account of His life after birth when He was a teenager. And we all know the classic story, probably when you were a teenager your parents lost you and then find out you were in the temple teaching teachers. Classic story, right? All of you had that same story. <laughs> and Jesus says some of the most profound words ever uttered, "Don't you know I must be about my father's business? Don't you know I must be in my father's house?" How cool of young Jesus, but that's all we know of him. And so the Messiah had come, and all these people are waiting eagerly. Is this Messiah going to be here? And for 30 years, he lives this humble, quiet life, being obedient to his parents, not lying, not coveting, not murdering, walking in line with the law of God, with what God had ordained for his people to to live like. And then God calls him into ministry. And John chapter 1, is where we'll be kind of camping in today, verses 16 through 18 says it this way. John says it. It says, From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the unique one, who is himself God. And God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed, another version say, unfolded God to us. That Jesus, undoubtedly, he is that. He is the unfolding of God the full a revelation for for God for those of us that have human eyes and human senses and we struggle to to walk in the spirit and understand things that are in the spirit he came down and condescended himself and John says it so well because there's prophecies all throughout the Old Testament one in particular I'll share from Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 Moses says, "...the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among our fellow Israelites and you must listen to him." And most scholars agree that that is not just a prophecy about um, the leaders that would come behind Moses, but ultimately it was about King Jesus that would come. And throughout they would share all of these stories about the Messiah coming and they're eagerly awaiting him. And John the Baptist comes on the scene. And it's cool because he's having to give a testimony because Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John. And they say, who are you? And John comes right out and he says, I'm not the Messiah. (laughs) Now it makes sense because that's what everyone is awaiting. And so when religious people came to question you, John immediately comes out and says, oh no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one. He responded that way because that was the question of the day. That was the question. Any man come on God's behalf, had come on God's behalf, you must be the Messiah. And John the Baptist said, oh, it's not me. And they said, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet that we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. Can you imagine the weightiness of that word? Saying that prophecy to people for 400 years who have been waiting. Who have been waiting eagerly. And John the Baptist comes out and says, I'm clearing the way. He's coming soon. It says, then the Pharisees who had, seen, who had been sent asked him, well, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John tells him, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This account, this encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. And then hear the words of John the Baptist to Jewish people who are awaiting this Messiah. John had told them, I'm preparing the way for the Lord's coming. And then in verse 29, it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize Him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that He might be revealed to Israel. Once again, this same theme, that Jesus is that fulfillment. He's the punchline. He's the the finisher of it all. And when we hear this today, the Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, For us today, in 2020, we don't make temple sacrifices. We don't keep lambs. This is a a phrase, this name for Jesus, the Lamb of God, has lost its significance on us today. When you hear Lamb of God, we kind of say, okay, cool. that's That's a really cool name. But I believe John used that word very specifically, being led by the Spirit, because there was a picture associated with this word, with this phrase, Lamb of God. In this book, I'd love to to take a few minutes and share the story with you to hopefully help us understand what might have been in the minds of a Jewish person hearing this claim of John the Baptist. In this book, it's called The God They Never Knew. It's by a man named George Otis Jr., very fruitful man for God, and awesome writer, and really, really love Jesus. And he says this, that to illustrate the effects of the sacrifice upon the sinner, we will return by the way of imagination to ancient Israel. It was typical of many families in those days to keep animals, particularly lambs, as pets. As in our society, young children grew very attached to their animals. So this is a story about read, I'll read to you. It's a few minutes but to give us a picture of what might have been going through someone's mind when John the Baptist declared these words about our Lord. So imagine this with me. One evening, as you and your brothers and sisters are running around outside your house, your father arrives to put a halt to the horseplay. After hustling you in for dinner, he snatches up your favorite lamb and ties it inside the door. On most days, dad's arrival is a highlight But today, something must have gone wrong. He's too serious tonight. Not like usual when he throws you up on his shoulders and carries you through the door. Tomorrow, you discover the family is going to the temple. But what's really great is the lamb gets to come too. Early the next morning, your mother wakes up, tells you to clean up and put on your best clothes. The fact that breakfast was skipped this morning for the Lord wasn't new. But dad has never looked so serious. So sober. Anyway, you guess that it's, you guess, your guess is that he's trying, he's tying the lamb's feet together so he won't get loose in the temple. The family is finally on the way. Dad's in front with the lamb on his shoulders, with mom and all the siblings in tow. Nearing the temple, you notice some of your friends arriving, but dad won't let you talk to anybody. Once inside the temple, all you can see are the backs and legs of a forest of grown ups. Nobody's talking, they're all just kind of crying and moaning really loud. Every so often, a family or group of people press their way through the crowd heading for the door of the temple. It's hard to figure out what's happening. You had never really noticed the people's faces the other times, and this was the first time too that dad had ever let your pet lamb come, though many other people had bought their lambs before. After a very long two hours, you have crept near the front of the line. Occasionally, you can see the priest's legs and bare feet around the altar through a crack in the crowd. The wailing and moaning near the front is almost deafening. Finally, your family is standing at the front of the altar. There is blood all over the ground and splattered on the priest's clothes. While your attention is fixed on all of the blood, Dad has handed the lamb over to the priest. After saying something to Dad, he lifts his head and speaks, again probably praying. His hands are both resting on the lamb when you notice for the first time the long, menacing knife at the side of the altar. The lamb anticipates its future with a meek struggle, but the leather cords hold him firm. After the priest finishes praying, he picks up the knife and puts his hand under the lamb's jaw, pulling its head back. Horror struck, you watch the priest plunge the knife into its throat. The blood spills out onto the breast of the lamb, the priest, and the altar. After one last spasmodic convulsion, the life of your precious lamb is over. As the priest spreads the blood around, the reality of the whole gruesome spectacle begins to melt your frozen stupor. Leaving the temple, tears flow uncontrollably as you press through other Jewish families, awaiting their turn to approach the altar. Nothing was said on the way home. That evening, Father lifted your little frame off your tear-stained pillow and gently explain, as he had to your older brothers and sisters in prior years, how a lamb could die instead of you. These sacrifices that would be made in the temple, one of the reasons they were there is to act as a visual primer. In your life, in our culture, in our context today, a visual primer, a good example of one would be maybe when you were younger, you might see a commercial of, of somebody who's who's smoked a long time, who's ingested tobacco for a lot of their life. And you'll see that they have a black lung. And so the message is very clear. If you smoke tobacco and you chew tobacco, this is the result. It's a visual primer. It's something for us to remember. Oh, I don't want to do that. You'll see billboards and commercials of of cars that have been crushed. And it's because someone was drunk driving. And so what our culture is trying to tell you is, hey, if you drive drunk, This can be a likely result. This is what could happen. And so, this idea of visual primer was stolen from our God Himself. One of the reasons He instituted these systems of sacrifice was just this. And so, a visual primer for a young Israelite, a young person of God, was that, that whole picture we just shared with you. When they would see a lamb, that was the image in their mind. And they knew that the costliness of sin what was the price of sin was that an innocent life and not just an innocent life but an innocent life that you loved that you knew that you had raised something that you loved dearly had to die because of sin because of your sin something precious and innocent had to die in your place and so john the baptist comes on the scene to a group of people who've lived out this scenario, or one similar to it, knowing the cost of sin, knowing the beauty of an innocent lamb and the equal horror to see it slain for something that it did not do. And he proclaims, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They knew exactly what that meant they immediately went back to their childhood, to their dad sitting them down and having, them, having to explain to them exactly why this would happen, this innocent, perfect lamb who knew no sin but became sin for us, our King Jesus. That, these, that blood signifies a cleansing agent, not simply a peace offering to an angry God, but the blood when sprinkled on the altar and mercy seat, was a sign to God that men had seen a life taken and that they, like that youngster, would realize the awfulness of sin and would no longer be inclined to commit more of it. Isn't that beautiful? does not that bring it to life for us? That this Jesus, being the Lamb of God, is, is far more significant than we can even understand today and how... We live our life. That sin cannot be taken lightly. And it's, it's so interesting to note in the Bible, particularly Leviticus 11, but in the Bible that um, the Bible doesn't associate blood with death as much as it does with life, which is so backwards from our culture. We see blood, we think, it's, we think death. We think something like that's happened. But in Leviticus, how God made it, He said the life is in the blood. Right. If you've got a disease in your blood, that's, that's a really serious thing to have something wrong with, with the blood. And that's why we're washed by the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that awesome, that beautiful? And in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So these Israelites, they got their answer as they eagerly await and they're on the edge of their seat hearing about this Messiah. When would this one come to set us free? And John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right in that moment, that was where the ministry of Jesus kicks off because the very next thing you read is Jesus' baptism. And the Holy Spirit Himself coming on, descending like a dove, I don't know the word, validates or or, Um, supports and gives more weight to Jesus when God in an audible voice says, "'This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased.'" You can imagine the rejoicing that took place in the people that were awaiting so eagerly for their freedom to be restored like we are today. And then it happens. It's there. It's in this King Jesus. He will fulfill it. The angel of the Lord in Matthew chapter 1 telling of Jesus' coming. When He appeared, He said, uh, He said, She will have a son. Mary, she will have a son. And you are to name Him Jesus. For He will save His people from their sins. That this purpose of Jesus was a personal one. That He has come to save you. And He's come to save me. Not just from sin, but from your sins. And my sins That is is at the same time the good news and the bad news of the gospel. (laughs) The bad news first is that you are a sinner and that I am a sinner and the innocent Lamb of God had to be slain. He had to be slain because you and I couldn't do it on our own. We were incapable. That's what the law showed us, that we couldn't do it on our own. But Jesus came and lived this life to show us exactly how possible it really is. And that a life lived out of holiness to God is actually a natural life. It is the life that was created in the garden. It was the life we were made to live, being created in His image. And not made good, but very good. And only in Jesus. That is what He will do. He will come. So for us today, behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. I think today John the Baptist would also say, behold the Lamb of God. Who makes freedom from sin possible? Behold this Lamb of God who makes intimacy with God possible. Behold the Lamb of God in whom the entire world was created and through him and for him and by him. And you could take any prophecy of the Old Testament about Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God, the answer to this prophecy, he's here. Whatever prophecy, whatever promise of God you've been holding on to, These 400 years of God's silence, don't worry. He's not silent anymore. Actually, he's right here. You can see him. You can feel him. You can touch him. And when he died on the cross, that veil was torn. And now it's even greater than that. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. Have crazier words ever been spoken? Have crazier words ever fallen on your ears in your whole life? That Jesus would say, it's better that, that I'm not here in the flesh with you. I can't imagine the disciples, the the foolish responses they said to Jesus on so many occasions. I just can't imagine what they thought about those words of Jesus. (laughs) Guys, it's better that I'm gone here. What? That what? That can't be true. But it is. It is true that the Holy Spirit would come. The Holy Spirit would come and fill each of us. And this Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, and in it he also brings real intimacy with God that's available to us. Behold the Lamb of God that brings power to a believer. Behold the Lamb of God who makes not a good person bad, but a dead person alive. Behold the Lamb of God that takes you from an orphan into a son or a daughter. Behold the Lamb of God that takes your useless and worthless life and makes it invaluable. Behold this Lamb of God who takes this dried, broken branch that should be thrown into the fire, but grafts it into the vine so that it can be fruitful. (laughs) That's the idea. That's what they were hearing. Because they had an understanding of this Jesus as the Lamb of God, what it was to sacrifice something innocent. They had this picture. They understood this price that would be paid for them in this Jesus. And, And you can just imagine them watching him live his life That's why these crowds followed him. They heard these sermons. They heard these miracles. And yet in the back of their mind, they're going, but this is the Lamb of God who's to be slain. How? Could you imagine trying to wrap your mind around that? Watching him heal people, cast demons out, feeding the 5,000, watching an eyewitness, seeing Jesus do all this stuff for people. And yet in the back of your mind, you know, He is the lamb that's to be slain for my sin. How is this going to come to pass? How is it that men, that any man would ever want this man killed, murdered in their heart, on their end, in their heart was murder towards him? And we know Jesus laid his life down. He said it himself. No man takes my life. I lay it down. And so he was not murdered in that sense. But the men who had him killed had murder in their hearts. They had a hatred towards him. And trying to reason that, how on earth could you have hatred towards this man, Jesus? How? But it was prophesied, and Jesus is the fulfillment. And so often, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the best things are yet to come. You know, there's, there's, there's greater things to come that God has to give. And, and while that's true, when He returns, we'll be removed from the presence of sin. And we'll be able to worship God in a way that we can't right now. And that is going to be incredible. But I think we do God a disservice sometimes when we say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And you know what? We're going to sit around and wait for something better to come. We're going to wait around because the best gift that this world's ever been given is Jesus and his obedience and the life that he lived. And so is there a greater gift to come other than Jesus? I don't think so. I think the fullness of God, and Jesus said it, in uh, Peter it says it, that everything we need for life and godliness It's been given to us. To live a perfect life, it's been given to us. Jesus, chapter 5, verse 48, he said to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we shy away from that and we say, oh, well, Jesus was just, it was a suggestion. How many of you guys know that the Lord of the universe doesn't often speak in suggestions? (laughs) That's not something someone with absolute authority often does. And we tend to think, oh, no, we can't live free from sin. And yet God has commanded it for us. And we give this picture of a father who's holding his son down and saying, Hey, stand up. And that's not who God is. He set us free. It was prophesied about and The angel of the Lord said it. He will set his people free from their sins. That is what Jesus has to offer you today. He has to offer you total, complete freedom. And so whether if you don't know Jesus, the invite is a simple one. Behold, there is a Lamb of God. There is a sacrificial Lamb who's come and He's paid the price. He's paid the price that you and I could never pay to redeem you out of sin, to buy you out of selfishness. If there's selfishness in your life, if there's sin in your life, it doesn't have to be there. It's there because you're choosing to walk in it. We choose to walk in this sin. Jesus has bought us from that sin. He's taken us out of it. So repent and believe this message of Jesus today and if you are a son or a daughter of God and you have surrendered to Jesus and there's an area of your life where you're not experiencing a freedom where you are not in, in a fullness with God I want you to know that that's the precise thing that this Lamb of God came to give you to take away all of the sin that God would have his Lordship in every single aspect of your life because this was a plan from the beginning. And I'll close with this um, thought that, oh man, I read about a week ago, week and a half ago, and I just can't shake it. And it's just caused so much wonder and gratitude in my mind and my heart. And so I'd love to close with this little brief illustration um, from a friend of ours, F.W. Borum. He's an author. Look him up. He's incredible. If you need a shot of wonder in your life, man, he'll, he'll do it. He had such a high view of God and He makes the observation, the creation of man in Genesis chapter 2. We see Adam. We see him lonely. And so God says, oh, he needs a companion. And so he puts Adam to sleep and he takes one of Adam's ribs. And so we see from the side of man, it was from the side of man from which all mankind would be born. Right? We would all come through that relationship from Adam and Eve. We would all come from there. So all mankind would come from the rib of Adam. And when Jesus was on the cross in John chapter 19, starting in verse 31, it says, it was the day of preparation and the Jewish leaders didn't want bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath. So they asked Pilate to hasten their death by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down which is a prophecy of Jesus, that he would not have his bones broken. And it says, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, No, not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the one who has been pierced. And specifically, it says he was pierced in his side, and blood and water spill out. And when blood and water spill out separately from someone, that's a sign of a ruptured cardiac muscle. Literally, it's a sign of a broken heart, of an extreme grief. And that was ultimately what killed Jesus on the cross. They were surprised that he was already dead, for he was a strong man. They watched him live his life. He was not a weak man by any stretch of anyone's imagination. And so when he was already dead, they were shocked. But they didn't understand that he had taken on the sin. He really was the lamb that was slain. And he took all of that on. And, and Mr. Borum writes that all mankind would be born through the side of Adam and through the side of the second Adam all mankind could be born again. that God has always had this. That Jesus being pierced in His side, that was prophesied. That was a prediction. That might have been one of the things you as an Israelite, me as an Israelite, for those years of quiet, we would have been thinking about. And we hear this lame of God, we would have thought, man, He's going to be pierced. He's going to be pierced in His side, and it all came true. This Jesus was obedient to everything. God had set this plan in motion. Through the rib of Adam, men would be born, and through the side of Jesus, you could be born again. And if anyone would ever be born again, just a few chapters later in John chapter 3, in his conversation with Nicodemus, he says it. You must be born again. And it's through the piercing in the side of Jesus. Only through that, only through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, do we have life again. Isn't that beautiful? Man, only God can take something like a surgery of someone's rib and a a uh, being pierced in your side into something beautiful but isn't that what he does isn't that what he's done with you he's taken something ugly something useless something worthless and he's made it beautiful you a new creation today you feel that you know that walking with him you're a new creation if you are I hope you walk in it I hope you carry yourselves as such you carry yourselves like you're a daughter of the king of the universe you're a son of the king of the universe and if you don't if you don't have confirmation that you know that, you know that, man, I would love to talk to you. I know Pastor Steve would love to talk to you, walk you through more of that in surrendering to Jesus because He is so good. And He is so worthy. Amen. And He is our our Lamb of God who's come to take away our sin. Yes, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Man, Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we set our minds on you right now. That we've got a full day ahead and weeks ahead, but we just, yeah, we just set our mind on you. Would our thoughts be about you? Would we never graduate from the cross? Would we never hear or think of, of what you've done and who you are and think that it's something any less than miraculous, anything less than incredible? Would we not just be people that contemplate you, but we would be people that have communion with you. Moses' face was shining because he had communion with you. He went up the mountain, he went and had communion with you. We can't contemplate, I mean we can't commune with a thing, we only commune with people. And oh God, you are a person, you are three in one, you are our God, and you are holy and you are righteous, but you've made a way for us to commune with you, not just contemplate you, not just think about you, but really be with you. Lord, we have a desire for that intimacy because we know that you will restore us and make all things new because of what you've done. God, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. Would you help us, King Jesus?